and welcome to the week six wrap-up edition of the college 12-pack a little different show this week i'm your host patrick connor senior editor of the college wires with me as always tyler and tuno village tigers wire being that it is monday and we're wrapping up the weekend that was we're going to give you we're going to break the 12-pack into two six-packs the first six going down today we're going to be talking about some key games that happened over the weekend and we will be back on wednesday uh, to record, you'll you'll be hearing this on Thursday for the second six pack as we get you ready for Oregon, Washington, and several other key games that are going to be going down uh, in Week Seven. But Tyler, we're going to kick things off with the biggest game of the week. Obviously, College Game Day was there. OU Texas, the Red River rivalry. The last time that this game will be played under Big Twelve rules, or at least Big Twelve officiating, uh, moving that game over to the SEC starting next season but there is an opportunity here that we could see this game played again this year in the big 12 championship game at jones or i'm sorry not at jones at&t i'm sorry at&t stadium uh in arlington texas uh this game was it had it all it had special teams it had key scoring uh what, what was your initial takeaways from this game you know early on it, it looked like oklahoma was the more physical team but uh texas was able to kind of you know, throw their weight around in the second half, but ultimately falling thanks to a last minute drive by Oklahoma and Dylan Gabriel. Yeah. I mean, I thought this was just a really fantastic game. Um, Overall, you know, it was the most hyped game of the week and it really, I think lived up to that, you know, like you said, uh, Oklahoma really punched them in the mouth early. I thought, you know, forced a couple mistakes, got, got, uh, you know, a lead in the game and they just really played well. You know, I think Dylan Gabriel had probably the best game of his career, you know, had that iconic moment leading the game winning drive, Um, you know, back and forth game credit to Oklahoma for pulling it out though. I mean, you know, really good game for them offensively an offense that had been maybe a little bit inconsistent. You know, I think we wondered, do they have the receiving talent that they've had in past years? Well, you know, Jaleel Farouk really stepped up. You know, he had a huge game, had 130 yards on five catches. Uh, that really helped their offense tremendously. And looking at the Texas side, I mean, it wasn't a bad, like, you know, this was just a really good game that sometimes you lose, I think. I don't know if there's, like, any grand declarations to make. I mean, I thought Quinn Ewers played pretty well overall, you know, had a couple of mistakes, had the two interceptions. One of those, the first one was, was his fault. The second one, not so much, kind of got jarred out and popped in the air. It was sort of a weird play. But, you know, just ultimately those mistakes weren't quite enough, even with Jonathan Brooks having a good game on the ground. You know, he had 129 yards in this one, but Texas turns the ball over three times. Oklahoma turns it over zero. And that usually is going to tell you the story of the game, especially in a tight one like that. Yeah, you look at the the turnovers. I, I would also point to the sacks. Uh, Quinn Ewers under pressure a lot in this game. Sack five times. Uh, Texas really couldn't get to Gabriel. I mean, they, they created pressure but really only one sack in in that game, and they weren't able to turn him over. So that was huge. But I, the one thing I will point to, and really something that Texas and Oklahoma have kind of been good for their you know perspective units, Oklahoma really good in the red zone this year, uh, really high percentage of turning red zones into touchdowns. They were six for six in this game uh, in, in red zone opportunities uh, scoring. Texas one and three. They had an interception in the red zone that you kind of you alluded to. Uh, got turned over on downs in the red zone, and and ultimately that's two scoring opportunities. You come away with no points, and this being that it was a four point game, 
one or both of those opportunities likely leads you to a win. Uh, you know, that was really tough for Texas to, to deal with. And it just goes back to kind of the big question with Texas this year is they have one of the highest field goal percentages in the red zone in the Big 12 this year. Actually, I think it's the highest, uh, third lowest touchdown percentage in the Big 12 once they get into the red zone. So these things have continued to bite Texas this year, uh, and and it finally cost them in a game. But, you know, they lost four points to a, a ranked team, an Oklahoma team that has much improved from a year ago. They've already matched their win total from last season. So now we're looking at Oklahoma as, as the clear best team in the Big 12. Texas is a close second. Uh, and like I said, it still seems like they are on a collision course to meet again in Arlington, Texas. Uh, you know, Texas right now kind of holds that second spot, so to speak. Um, there are some other teams, if you look at the Big 12 standings, that might be ahead of them. Uh, but I think when it's all said and done, it's likely going to be Texas who is going to be facing off against Oklahoma, uh, despite the fact that West Virginia, who's 2-0, and actually would hold that second spot if the season were to end today. But uh, West Virginia obviously has some – big matchups coming down the stretch that they're going to have to win if they want to secure that spot to face Oklahoma. Yeah, I agree. I think the odds are pretty high that we're going to see this one again. Um, And so look, because of that, this isn't like season over for Texas. I mean, I think it's pretty clear Oklahoma now with this win becomes uh, the clear favorite in the big 12 and the, you know, maybe a, a potential team that could be a favorite to make the college football playoff. But you can't count Texas out of that mix. I mean, no. assuming they don't lose again, they've still got that Alabama win. You get a chance, you know, you win out, you're going back to, you know, Jerry World, you're playing Oklahoma again, you win that game, you're probably back right in the playoffs. So, I, you know, I don't think this is season over by any means for Texas. <clears throat> but, you know, obviously small margin of error the rest of the way. Um, you know, and for Oklahoma, just really impressive. You know, we haven't seen this team be really it's, – it's been, you know – they, they weren't able to do it last year with Brett Venables, be competitive on a national stage like this. And they're doing it again. You know, they're in the playoff mix. This game had just a lot of excitement for the first time in a few years. Um, just good, exciting weekend for both teams, I would say, overall. Absolutely was. Uh, and, and we'll get into Alabama here in a moment as they took on Texas' biggest rivals within the state, A&M. Uh, we'll talk about that game a little bit later in the show. You know, Georgia and Michigan are, are the top two teams right now in the rankings. Georgia's number one, Michigan's number two. Sometimes you'll see power rankings where people will have Michigan over Georgia just because they look more impressive. But I felt like both teams really were impressive this past weekend, winning big, dropping 50 points against conference foes. And they really did it the same way defensively. Offensively, it looked a little different. Michigan a little bit more on the ground game. Georgia a little more throwing the football, not something that we're used to seeing in, in recent years. But when you look at what they were able to do, Georgia held Kentucky to 183 yards, only one red zone opportunity. Michigan, 169 total yards allowed to, to Minnesota, and they had no opportunities in the red zone. So not surprising that both of these teams were able to throttle uh, opponents that you expect them to beat down. Uh, based on where we kind of project both of these teams as the season goes on. Yeah, you know, Georgia, I mean, we said it on the podcast last week. We talked about it. Kentucky was going to try to out Georgia, Georgia in this game. And we'll see, you know, we were going to see how that worked. Um, the answer was not very well. You know, uh, Georgia kind of just manhandled them in this game, um, you know, 51-13. I mean, 
the, I think the yardage ended up being like 683 to or 608 to 183. Sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, just a complete domination in this game. I'm really surprised, you know, not that I thought Kentucky was going to win this game because I didn't, but I, I didn't necessarily think this Georgia team was built to beat anyone like that, let alone, you know, a team that at least, you know, is, is solid sometimes. So I, I think that, you know, impressive win for Georgia. I thought it was by far the best game of Carson Beck's career so far. Um, you know, he he really seems like, you know, maybe there's something there. You know, maybe <clears throat> the ceiling there could could be a little bit higher with the passing offense than it was with Stetson Bennett. You know, we saw Brock Bowers have a huge game uh, this week once again. He's just such a good player. Um, just so unstoppable, you know. We've seen good tight ends in the past be really tough to defend at the college level. I mean, Kyle Pitts was practically unguardable. We've got another guy like that in Brock Bowers. Um just he's, he's he's probably the best overall player in the country. Uh, but looking at Michigan, too, I mean, really similar kind of deal. You know, didn't have to do as much offensively, but just in a complete smothering defensive performance. I mean, Minnesota couldn't do anything. You know, that's a team that really, I think, you know, isn't that good this year. Um, they're really struggling, you know, to replace Tanner Morgan. They haven't really been able to find that guy. P.J. Fleck, it just hasn't. It's not working out the way it did, you know, when they kind of were winning like nine or 10 games kind of in that range. So, so, I mean, you know, good job for Michigan though. They continue to, you know, beat everyone, you know, to a pulp. So they've looked really solid. They haven't really been tested, but they're doing everything they need to. Yeah. JJ McCarthy, efficient throwing the football. Obviously he had two rushing touchdowns to go along with his one throwing the football Michigan just able to run the football uh with that two-headed monster that they have you know with with Blake Horm and Donovan Edwards and, and they have some other guys getting in the mix as well just doing exactly what they're supposed to do and what we expected them to do uh and obviously it, it everything's gearing up to see how Michigan does against you know they have two top five opponents that they're, they're gonna have to go through in that Big Ten East when you talk about Ohio State who looked really good in the second half you talk about the Nittany Lions who are doing well. So, you know, it's it's another one of those. We're going to get a, a, a lot of good football, I think, down the stretch, and it's going to kind of clear up the picture and figure out who is where when it comes to college football playoff seeding. Uh, but right now, you had to like what we saw this weekend when you, when you look at Michigan, uh, when you look at Georgia, and just proving why they are the top two teams. You know, a little bit of a surprise this year, Louisville is coming in and undefeated, stayed undefeated after beating Notre Dame this weekend. A team that we, Notre Dame, we thought, you know, even after their loss to Ohio State, it was a close one. We still felt Notre Dame had a lot to prove, but they were a very good team and, and led by their transfer quarterback, Sam Hartman. But he picked a heck of a time to have an awful game in this one. He was picked off three times, two forced fumbles. They were able, Louisville was able to score 13 points off turnovers. This game was, uh, what, 33 to 13 in the fourth quarter. It was close up until the fourth quarter. Louisville runs away with it, essentially. And, and just looking at Jahar Jordan, he dominated once again. He's been a really good running back for them this year. But uh, I was a little bit surprised that this game was not competitive late in the fourth quarter, given how Notre Dame had played this year. Yeah, you know, I mean, first of all, really intriguing team um, in Louisville. You know, this was kind of something of a coming out party for Louisville and Jeff Brom. You know, Jeff Brom, you know, inherited a program that, you know, Scott Satterfield left for the Cincinnati job, but he was sort of under some pressure. You know, they were kind of underachieving. Year one, he's got them at 6-0. and That's that's something. Um, and, and to win this game the way they did, you know, it was a tight game. Like you said, fourth quarter, they sort of start to pull away. 
I mean, it was a really impressive performance defensively, especially, you know, a Notre Dame offense that I think we thought was really good, both running the ball and, you know, with Sam Hartman making some plays in the passing game, probably one of the worst games of his, I mean, certainly the worst game of his Notre Dame tenure, one of the worst of his uh, career overall as a starting quarterback. Um, You know, it, it was concerning for Notre Dame. I would say, you know, after the way you played last week against Duke, that was encouraging. That was a step in the right direction. Now you got two losses and is, you know, looking like you're not going to be a playoff contender. I think Marcus Freeman's a good coach. You know, I, I don't want to be too down on him, but they've now lost a couple games this year that are pretty hard to swallow. And I think that's going to be tough if he can't sort of take a leap next year. Um, but, but again, Louisville just really impressive credit to them. You know, like you said, Jawar Jordan uh, went for like 149 in this game, 149 yards, uh, 143 yards and two touchdowns. So you know, they, they didn't get a ton from Jack Plummer in the passing game, but were able to run the ball. Um, and, you know, I look at this team and I think that maybe they're an ACC contender. I mean, Florida State's obviously good. Uh, Duke is good. You know, we'll see what the deal is with Riley Leonard, how many games he's set to miss um, could be a key factor there. You know, Clemson has its problems. We'll see about North Carolina. Point being, this team to me is as much in the mix as any of those teams, I would say, except maybe Florida State, but... Yeah, you look at Louisville right now. I mean, again, if the season ended today, Louisville plays Florida State in the ACC championship based on their conference record. Uh, you're right, UNC, Duke, those four teams, not they have not lost an ACC game yet this season. Uh, so those are really the four we're looking at. Clemson's going to need some help. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech's sitting in a good spot right now, two and one, and, and we'll talk about Georgia Tech in a little bit. Uh, as we continue on, on on the college 12 pack. But yeah, when, when you look at the teams that we kind of expected, you know, Clemson and, and Miami, not really looking good right now. But, you know, Florida State, I think, is the team that we all thought was going to be at the top. Louisville is the surprise. You know, I, I think we agree that we thought Louisville was going to be better uh, than they were under Satterfield. And maybe it was going to be a year or two before Braun really made an impact, but he's made an impact immediately. And that's really helped out this team. Uh, and, you know, again, just able to take advantage of the opportunity that was presented to him. And, and, you know, Hartman, who had not been picked off this year, throws three, fumbles twice, as we said. Uh, no run game in, in this one. Uh, and obviously, when, when you're down by 20 points in the fourth quarter, you kind of have to throw the football, which gives them more opportunity to turn the ball over. So, uh, you know, some things to correct for Notre Dame, and, and they better do it quickly uh, because they've got USC. Um, and, and they're a team that can put some points on the board, so they're going to have to be ready. Uh, and as we talk about USC, they continue to win games, Tyler, but big question, um, they they keep dropping in, in the polls, uh, even though they're 6-0, and and I think a lot of it has to do with that defense, and once again, that defense became under fire uh, against Arizona. Yeah, USC keeps making me stay up really late on the East Coast with these tight games. I mean, this one was scary. Uh, This one was uh, way too close for comfort um, if you're USC. You know, I I don't think when, you know, when Colorado mounted that big comeback or Arizona State was staying in range, I don't think those were really ever – like, I never really felt like, man, USC might lose this game. I really felt that way on on Saturday night, though. You know, Arizona – absolutely could have won this game in fact you know they scored to tie it to potentially tie it in the first overtime they had the opportunity to go for two and win the game 
I still think they should have, you know, I, I don't know what the, the specific philosophy is or the analytics say there, but I just have to imagine that gives you a better chance to beat a team like USC than extending the game and letting Caleb Williams continue to make plays. Uh, but, you know, speaking of Caleb Williams, this wasn't his best game. You know, he had four total touchdowns, three were on the ground. Didn't really do a tremendous amount in the passing game, though. And it was another game where USC's defense was just really bad. Um, you know, they gave up more than 500 total yards of offense. Noah Fafida, the quarterback, uh, backup quarterback, by the way, Jaden Dolores hurt right now. He had 303 yards and five touchdowns. So, you know, really stressed that defense, uh, you know, went to triple overtime. USC needed to win in the dueling two-point conversion section, but definitely concerning, especially with a Notre Dame team, you know, up next. It's licking its wounds, but, you know, I still think a decent, you know, USC's not very well matched up against them. Yeah, and uh, you talked about the back of quarterback, but you got to talk about former UTEP wide receiver Jacob Cowing, who, who had four touchdowns in this game, 10 receptions. I mean, not a huge number of yards, but he made them count. Uh, as they scored four touchdowns. You know, this was my lock of the week last week. You know, I, I felt like, or upset of the week, I should say, I felt like Arizona could push USC. I thought they they would likely win the game, and they came close, obviously going into three overtimes. But, again, we have a lot of these questions about USC. And, you know, offensively, they're not there, but you're talking about a USC defense that's given up 27 points per game this season. Um, and, and, you know, it's even worse when you really look at how they've been the last few weeks. And it's not going to get any better, I, I don't think, when you look at USC and look at their schedule. Uh, they've got to answer a lot of things, especially if they want to keep up with the Washingtons and the Oregons of the Pac-12 because those two teams, they look a little more complete. And, and really, I think that they're really going to push it. And then I know we have a Washington versus USC matchup that's going to be coming on uh, coming up. In early November, you know, we're still four weeks away from that. Uh, but right now, my my biggest concern with USC has to be on the defensive side of the ball. And really, everything that went on against Arizona gave me no confidence that Alex Grinch can correct these issues. Yeah, I mean, I'll just continue to beat that drum. We've been saying this since before the season even started. We've been saying it since the show started in the offseason. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious that defense is a limiting factor. It's, I mean – if I were a USC fan, it'd be kind of frustrating to me that, you know, Lincoln Riley seems to be kind of wasting what's a generational offense, you know, with Caleb Williams on a defense and defensive coordinator and Alice Grinch that just doesn't seem to be working, but they haven't lost yet. So um, obviously that's a bit premature to say, but just the way they play, they don't look like a playoff team to me. I mean, this looks like a team that's going to lose one or two games, uh, you know, before we hit November or before we hit December. The big concern, like you said, we've talked about wasting, the uh, generational talent on offense. This USC team over the last three weeks has given up 36.7 points per game. And that just tells you how much more work the offense, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams are having to do to overcome a team that's given up nearly 37 points per game. And why I am concerned with this game, even though they are undefeated going up against a two-loss Notre Dame team, why I think that Notre Dame might be the team that they've got to pay attention to this week they might lose too. So we'll get more into that uh, in our second show of the week. But right now, USC not looking good, and they've got to fix a lot of things. Now we go over to the Texas A&M versus Alabama game. And really, when you look at this game, it, it looked like A&M might defeat Alabama, giving them only their second 
lost to an unranked team in the Nick Saban era, 115-1. and That one loss came to A&M, but ultimately that defense really stepped up, and, and A&M just could not come up with enough answers uh, offensively to challenge a really good uh, defense that, that Nick Saban has there in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, frustrating game for Texas A&M. You know, a game that I think they had a chance to win, a game they were sort of controlling for a while there. Um, there was kind of a point in the third quarter where it was like, okay, you know, what's what's going to happen here? Uh, but but they couldn't pull it out. You know, Alabama's defense, which we knew was really good, um, has looked the part in every game this year, really even in the Texas game, uh, looked really good once again. You know, Max Johnson couldn't really do anything. I'm not sure Connor Wegman would have made much of a difference in this game. Um, maybe he would have, but I'm a little bit skeptical. Uh, yes, ultimately couldn't make enough plays against this really good defense to win the game. And, you know, Alabama, credit to Jalen Milrow. I mean, this was probably the best game of his career. Uh, was really sharp, I thought, in this game. Had like three touchdowns, went over 300 yards. So really good showing from him, a guy that I think continues to progress into the role. You know, has his limitations, but is playing some pretty good football overall. Um, and, and, you know, also can't be discounted that Jermaine Burton was a big part of that. You know, went for 197 yards and two touchdowns. We've talked a lot about this Alabama team, you know, not having the kind of playmakers that it has in past years. Still think that's the case, but, you know, obviously encouraging to see a guy like Jermaine Burton step up and have a game like that. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is still pretty clearly the top dog in the SEC West. You know, things could get interesting. Uh, Alabama, I mean, sorry, Ole Miss, LSU and Texas A&M all have just one loss in conference play. LSU and A&M still haven't played. LSU and Alabama still haven't played. Uh, Ole Miss and A&M still haven't played. So, what I'm trying to make is there's a lot of different ways this could play out, and it might just simply be Alabama runs the table and wins the West again, but uh, I'm not so sure. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough for Alabama. Uh, you know, the offense is inconsistent, uh, but we'll see how the, that matchup comes down the road against LSU. I still think that's going to be a key matchup. Uh, obviously, Ole Miss as well. I mean, they've already beaten Ole Miss, but Ole Miss can make some noise if something were to happen to Alabama down the stretch. There's a lot going on there, but – once again, uh, Nick Saban finds a way to win a game. Um, you know, and, and really, they control their destiny right now. If you if you look at what Alabama's got, uh, they're I know that they want another shot at Georgia, uh, and we'll see if that comes to fruition. But you know, really, you know, A and M is a team that we just keep waiting for. It's like they're going to take that next step, and we thought that they were going to take this next step. We saw the dominance that they were able to put over a uh, a, a hapless Arkansas team, to put it mildly. Uh, they just don't have enough, but you know, a And M has had these opportunities, but a loss to a Miami team that uh, Miami didn't look good uh, this past weekend. So you know, we have their questions about them, but a And M had the opportunity all right in front of them, and obviously they lose this football game uh, in a way that you know you had the lead and, and you gave it up and you and you couldn't score. So now a And M's back to the drawing board once again. They've got to find a way to you know get back on track and hopefully get the opportunity to bypass some of these teams. But right now it's not looking good for A&M uh, when it comes to an opportunity that was right in front of them. And for our last segment of the College 12-pack this week, the College 6-pack here on Monday, uh, Mario Cristobal repeated history. Uh, we had a redo of Oregon 2018. C.J. Verdell fumble against Stanford, ultimately losing in overtime. When you look at this game but Miami, who hadn't played an ACC game yet, goes up against Georgia Tech, has the opportunity to win the football game. How do you not take a knee? Tyler, explain this to me. I I need you to 
I'm going to go full office right here. Why don't you explain to me like I'm five years old? I can't do it. Um, look, sometimes this was like sometimes something just happens where like I just can I sleep on it. And then the next day when I'm watching my Jacksonville Jaguars beat down on the Buffalo Bills, I still just can't stop thinking about why didn't Mario Cristobal kneel the ball there? Uh, this was one of those games. I, just unbelievable way to lose a football game. So just to kind of set the stage a little bit, Miami has the ball up three against Georgia Tech with under 40 seconds to play. So they kneel the ball. The game ends. The game is over. They are sitting at, at this point in time, 99.9% chance to win uh, per ESPN's FPI. Of course, Mario Cristobal doesn't do that. Uh, he runs the ball instead. Miami fumbles, Georgia Tech recovers, and scores a last-second touchdown on a really nice pass from Haynes King. Uh, just unbelievable. Uh, I mean, unbelievable that you could allow that to happen. I mean, apparently this is a philosophical thing for Mario Cristobal. Like, he doesn't kneel the ball. He just doesn't believe in kneeling the ball. I mean, like you said, they lost a game when he was at Oregon in 2018 against Stanford in the exact same way, pretty much the exact same circumstance. And if you look at, you know, play-by-plays from the games they've won this year, you know, games they've won when they've had the ball uh, in the final minute, they never kneel. They always run. The final play of the game is always a run play followed by end of game. I don't understand. Like, I, I truly don't. I don't know what the logic is behind that. I don't know why you would ever do that. Uh, but in this case, I mean, it costs them to lose a game that they did, didn't play well in at all, but also still had absolutely no business losing, no excuse for losing it other than coaching. I mean, I, if I were a Miami fan, I would just be beside myself. I, I, I just, there's nothing else to say. They call it the victory formation for a reason. You line up, you kneel it, game's over, you win. Yes, and it goes back to what happened. Facing a second and three against Stanford in 2018, Mario Cristobal decides to run the football. C.J. Verdell fumbles the ball. Forced by Noah Williams, they get the ball. They tie the game up with a drive with with 51 seconds. They tie the game, go to overtime, and win it 38-31. In this instance, they fumble the football, and then Georgia Tech finds a way to win this football game. There's no reason why we should be even talking about this game. Uh, it seemed like Miami was clearly the better team, and they should have won this football game, but uh, it, it just goes to prove that Mario Cristobal doesn't pay attention to history. Historically, you have a problem with this. Um, and, and I thought it was funny in hindsight, he says, yeah, we should have kneeled the ball, but it's like, yeah, as you pointed out, he never kneels the ball. Yeah. I was wondering about that too. It, it, no, sorry. So, sorry. I just, yeah. 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 No, no, you're, you're good. I, and I agree with you. It's, it's like you never kneel the ball and you, and you, go in after the game and say, oh, I should have kneeled the ball, which you never do it anyway. And, and that's ultimately what cost you the game and could cost you a shot at playing for the ACC championship because let's be honest, through four games, they look like a team that was poised to be a, a contender in the ACC. Now this loss kind of puts you behind the eight ball. Obviously they have opportunity because they haven't played any ACC games outside of this. Uh, but, you know, as we know, they are going to have to play some teams down the stretch that are really going to push them it did not help things to lose to Georgia Tech, who now is is above you in the standings in the ACC. And we'll, we'll see how this race goes throughout the week, or I'm sorry, throughout the season. Uh, but right now, like we've talked about, it looks like a Florida State versus Louisville right now. And, and there's going to be opportunity 
Uh, but still, just looking at what happened and, and how this all played out, not a great look for Mario Crystal Ball. Uh, but that's going to do it for this edition of the College 12-Pack. Uh, for Tyler and Patrick, we'll see you on Thursday. <laughs>